listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is John Bishop. John Bishop is a martial arts practitioner. He has a third-degree black belt in Bagua, and is a master-level teacher of Sintonia Yoga, Tai Chi, and acrobatics. He's also studied Shaolin Kung Fu, Taekwondo, Muay Thai kickboxing, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He is currently teaching adults and kids martial arts classes and women's self-defense and rape prevention classes in Southern California. How are you doing, John? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome to the show. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you. So currently, uh, you practice Bagua. Yes. Right. So maybe you could uh, just take a moment and kind of just give a quick description as to what that even is. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, my definition, uh, my, my Americanized quick blurb would be Chinese circle fighting, but on a... Uh, more expansive, it is a internal and external martial art, but it is a philosophy, a martial art, a real holistic style. Uh, you learn the Chinese medicine, you learn the flexibility, you learn the psychology, you learn lots and lots of philosophy, uh, how to break down yourself and how to break down other people. Hmm. So. Very fascinating. Another way uh, I describe to, to new people or people I bring in as initiates, instead of trying to punch you in your face, I w- why would I want to do that? That's ridiculous. You're just going to punch me. I'm going to get behind you and punch you in the back of the head, and that's where I want to be. But I want to find out why I'm going to be doing that or why you're going to be doing that. Well, how does the, the circle part of circle fighting... like like? Help me to picture that if I didn't have a martial art background, um, what does that really mean? Like to, mm. to just a person who's maybe coming to you, they haven't studied any martial arts before. They know that it's going to involve self-defense, but, but they can't really conceptualize what you mean by circle fighting. Most martial arts in both physical and philosophy, it's linear. It's on a straight line. Okay. One person and Two person. Like boxing, for example? Yeah, exactly. Like Western exactly. boxing? You're looking at each other, you're facing each other, and you're just on a slide rail. You go in, you go out. You go in, you go out. Squared uh, off. Exactly. Fencing. Uh, Sounds like fencing. It, yeah. Exactly. That is the, the philosophy of most martial arts that I've seen, to where there's nothing other than that. There's fancy kicks, there's fancy punches, there's uh, some chi movement, but more or less it's... It's fencing. Like you said, it's just on a straight line, point A and point B, and there's no calculus involved. It's hmm. it's just a grid. With the circle fighting, it would be uh, not just circular with the feet and your, your, I guess, mat trajectory. It would be circle with the hands, circle with the kicks, circle with the punches, and circle with the philosophy. For someone who's never done martial arts or for more on the circle fighting, everything is moving. The earth is moving. 
the solar system's moving, the galaxy's moving. In a fight, you're moving, your opponent is moving, or opponents, plural, which is something that we specialize in. That's the heart of the way that I teach, mm. is you're not learning to fight one person on one person. That Bagua is about one person versus multiple opponents. On the philosophy side, and again with the circular, the philosophy is one person does not have one problem. In real life, one on the streets, it's not going to be me being attacked by one dude of equal magnitude. Mm. It's going to be me being attacked by five guys, you know, one guy and his four, and his four friends or multiple friends, and I have to deal with it. So with the philosophy, there's not one solution. You know, there's not one problem. You get up in the morning and you don't say, oh, I have to deal with Judy at the office, and that is my only problem in life, and there we go. No, you have hundreds of problems every day, and you have to learn how to go from one to another to another to another or multiple at the same exact moment in time. And this gets into the, the circle to where you have multiple opponents, you have multiple problems. It's the same thing, whether it's mental or physical being able to move cir circular, you're able to navigate with a higher degree of success. So in a typical practice session, um, as, as a person's learning to do the movements and, and, and whatnot, are they moving along a circle? Are they moving like a circle? Mm. Um, how does that work with the footwork and all, all that? It sounds like you'd get really dizzy or something. No, uh, you get used to it. Uh, we have a very nice system of progression set up. Uh, the way that I was taught and the way that I teach, in the very beginning levels, only straight line. Beginning level straight line back and forth. Let's mm. just call it first grade. With us, we've adopted the Americanized belt system. I know in traditional China, there was, there was no belt system. But it's, it's America, it sells, everybody wants a belt, the pat on the head. So we've segmented it quite nicely. In the beginning, it's linear. You're just learning your X and your Y coordinate. Not even that, just your X coordinate. Forward and backwards. And then after for me, three to six months, usually, um, it's 45s. You're forward, backwards, 45s. You're learning more than just one direction. Three to six months later, we do 90 degrees. Forwards, backwards. So now you're moving in eight different directions. Forwards, backwards, 45, forward, 45, backwards in both. And then you have your 90 degrees. So that's the eight points. Three to six months later, we then we start moving in a circle. Once you know how to distinguish your right foot from your left foot, then it's no longer just moving forward and backwards. We start going in the full circle. This is usually anywhere between six months to a year after I've been working with somebody, teaching them to move, teaching them to think, uh, inside and outside, we'll do the circle. And then after that, it just gets more complex. You're doing a circle on the mat, but now you're doing a circle vertically with your arms. Wow. 
and then to where it's would be graphically represented as an orb almost you're moving in a circle your arms and your spine are moving in a circle so you're a circle within a circle and then we get all sorts of crazy with uh, multiple opponents. And then that's usually at the, the two-year mark where you, I would say you were uh, first-degree black belt. And then we go from there. Wow. I'd, I'd like to point something out. Um, as you were describing that, um, I was reflecting... Uh, your, your language that you, were, that you used caused me to reflect on uh, some concepts in occupational therapy. I'm, I'm an occupational therapist. And, um, when we deal with children, right, not just children, but usually children that have sensory processing disorders, mm-hmm. um, especially kids that, um, their inner ear, their vestibular system is hypersensitive, mm-hmm. right? We follow the same hierarchy of providing vestibular input that you just described. Wow. Because the nervous system looks at motions as being more threatening and less threatening. And so when we take a kid and we put him on a swing, what do we start with? Forward and backwards linear movements. Then left and right linear movements. Then diagonal movements. Then arcs. Then circles. And then rotation. Yeah. And then the nervous system gradually accepts those things piece by piece. So it's just kind of fascinating. It just sort of works in the nervous system that way. As uh, my teacher would say, see, you, you do bagua. <laughs> in, in what you do, then we, as he, he always points out, there's... Bagua is not Bagua. Bagua is u- universal. Not the punching and the kicking and the flipping. I mean, that's, that's the fun, cool stuff. But the, the philosophy of it, it's universal. It's in everything. It's the, the math of the universe. Uh, in physics, you have Bagua. Psychology, you have Bagua. Music, you have Bagua. Every single thing in the universe can be put into the same categorizing system as Bagua. So you have a lot of numerology, a lot of numbers that you see everywhere. You have the eight, you have the three, you have the six, you have so on and so on and so on. But yeah, you you do mm. the Bagua with the occupational therapy. I mean, that's mm-hmm. there you go. It's All the right. exact Beautiful. same thing. Beautiful, nice, John. What is what is Bagua? I mean, d- does it have a translation? I mean, h- how would you... W- what is it really? Yes, the, the literal translation from Chinese. Uh, here in America, we have Bagua and we also have Pakwa. It depends on what, acts, what Chinese dialect or the, the slang derivative. Bagua, it literally translates to eight changes. Ba in... Kent in uh, Mandarin is eight, and Gua is changes. Uh, changes as in um, the I Ching, the Book of Changes. It is the a very, very, very big headache waiting to be opened. Huh. So <laughs> that's what we're here for, <laughs> opening people's headaches. Yeah, you know, brain but surgery. Stuff with, like the, with the Bagua, uh, Bagua martial arts, it's, it's not just a, a martial art. I hate to shrink wrap it into such a tiny package. Mm. I mean, as we were discussing, I mean, it's, it's a way of life. And when, no matter what you're doing, the philosophy of Bagua can assist and help you to go further. God, I don't want to sound like, a, like it's some step program. No, it's, it's universal. Okay. So. Well, uh, I think um, Satch will understand the... 
joking reference here when I say, so what you're saying, John, is there, there are only eight steps, right? There are no more? <laughs> but there just are, eight. There are eight. You see, we go from the microcosm to the macrocosm. And then after you get to the eighth one, you realize that you're on step one of a bigger picture. So you finish the eight steps and then, oh, yeah, I got a bigger eight to go and then a bigger eight to go. And it just spirals out of control into what I would think of as the known universe and maybe even beyond that. So It, just, it, it reminds me of the Mandelbrot set. Right. The Mandelbrot set. Which is you're familiar with the Mandelbrot set. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's the the mathematical equations that that translated in those beautiful fractal images, those computer images that we saw uh, became popular in the um, early nineties um, and have really populated t shirts and book covers and websites right. galore. You can see right. some really right. great uh, examples of that on YouTube, yeah. in fact. Yeah. And there's Bagua in that. There is. Absolutely. So we started talking about martial arts and you described Chinese circle fighting, but you've mentioned other things besides fighting like psychology and, 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 and some other areas. Um, so what could you share about Bagua in terms of like, if we were to call it Chinese circle psychology, um, uh, what, what, what is that? What, what, what is the, the psychology of, of Bagua? I, I like to follow a number path. Okay. Okay. Yeah to where it's easy for me to remember, it's easy for the students to remember and to follow. And I'm sure some of my students are going to hate me for giving this all out for you mm. and putting it all out there in the open without some sort of uh, monstrous initiation or years of sweat and blood. But we'll just pretend for the moment so I can give you a, a nutshell. Uh, we start out with one. You could call it Om, you could call it a circle. Your first day in the studio being your life up till now, uh, your life of everything that you see. And one always becomes two. Okay? And then we start with the yin and the yang. And I, I like to spend a lot of time with this, but not everybody in our society really gets it. You know, they get, yeah, yin and yang, you know, black and white, positive, negative. Okay, yeah, 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 I get it. Uh, it doesn't really explode their brain for a good year. But you go from one, you go from the ohm to two, the yin and the yang, and the opposites. You get the polarity involved. And then, like, again, like everything from physics to uh, psychology, two becomes three. And we have uh, like a coin. You have heads and tails, and a lot of people, that's all they see. But no, you you can't forget the, the edge, the middle. Sure. Usually that's that's the most important part. So we go from Om to Yin and Yang to uh, the philosophy of sky, man, and earth. What's above you, what's on the same level as you, what's beneath you. And this concept is gigantic. And most people get stuck here. They can't get past the sky, man, and earth. And I tell my students all the time, the easiest, most basic analogy for sky, man, and earth, you have sky being always giving, always expansive. The further down you go, the smaller everything gets. And I break this up for my students where earth is the survival, and man is the social relationships and the play, sky is everything else. 
and I like the potluck analogy. You go to a potluck, there's three kinds of people. People that go to a potluck, they bring potato salad, and they don't even know it's a potluck. They're like, oh, I brought food. Uh, that's cool that there's more food here. But here, I want you to eat. I knew you were going to be here. I made you potato salad. Then you have the man philosophy. Man isn't human. I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, but man philosophy where you make potato salad. You go to the potluck and you say, here's a potato salad. Where's the macaroni salad? The give and the take. Mm -hmm. And then you have the, the earth person that goes to the potluck. They know it's a potluck and they show up with a fork. Okay. And that's it. <laughs> Very practical. The, the no matter what, I'm going to survive. The, uh, oh, you, you made potato salad. Cool. I'm going to eat your potato salad. Not, right on. You could use some tarragon in there. But for the, the Bagua martial arts side, the application of this, if you're in a bar and someone comes into the bar, if you get into a fight with them, you kick their butt. If they're a sky person, okay, they buy you a beer. They're, oh, that, sorry, that's the man person. The sky person's like, okay, yeah, you won. The man person, okay, I buy you a beer, you buy me a beer. I, I often refer to Canadians as, as men because you get into a bar fight with a Canadian, which I've done, you end up drinking a lot of beer with the person you were trying to fight. And then the note earth to, person. Note to self. Yeah, yes. Good to remember. Canada's a great yeah. place. Um, then the earth person. Take off, eh? You fight this person. They're going to leave, and they're going to come back with a gun. These are the, the three minds. Uh, from three, it breaks off into four, because you have the sky, you have the, the earth, but on the level of man, you have a yin and yang all of its own. Because if you look in the, the level, if you keep your, your head straight and you look straight ahead, you have left and right. And in battle, in fighting somebody, you look at them, you have to know what's going on to the sides of you as well as up and down. Mm -hmm. And then from the four, we break off into the five, which would be the, uh, the five elements. And from that, that's when you get into a lot of the meat and potatoes of personality archetypes. You have your, your fire, your earth, your metal, your water, your wood, and you get, start getting into the Chinese medicine. From the, the five elements, oh God, you can take apart someone's mind. You can take apart someone's posture. You can put together what kind of person they are by their physical clues. You know which organs are weaker which organs are stronger. You have a higher probability of knowing whether the pressure points will work. You have a higher probability of knowing how they're going to attack. Are they going to kick you? Or are they going to punch you? Are they going to punch you in the head? They're going to punch you in the gut. You have a higher degree, uh, higher ability to diffuse the situation when you get into the five elements. You just by simply categorizing five different personalities. Hmm. Okay. And then from the five, we get into the six. And now we're getting into the a real philosophical and I dare say religious aspect to where you have sky, man, and earth, yang, and sky, man, and earth, yin, to where now you have, you go from the five elements and you jump right in on the number system to the six. And this takes you further down the rabbit hole. You start to analyze personalities a whole lot more. When you practice it, you hone it, it's not just a great tool to fight it's a great tool to help someone heal psychologically, physically. It's a great way to meet your wife. 
like I met mine. Uh, she thought I was a mind reader, and then she thought I was magic, just because I ca- I was misusing my Bagua powers, as we say. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, you you get into a lot of psychology. You understand a person. You get a sense of why a person is fighting, why they're fighting you, what they're after. From six, you go to seven, and seven, you go to eight, where you have the eight changes uh, from the I Ching. Uh, you get from all of this you get union archetypes you get the number of teeth that you have in your mouth to the number of vertebrae you have in your spine you have a way to break down everything in the known universe Bagua also, the way you're describing it, a way of categorizing human existence and experiences? and Absolutely. Okay. What, what have you found or discovered from applying and learning Bagua um, interpsonally, like in your own consciousness of, oh on the God, planet? Where do I start? What's a good example of something that you've learned from it? We try to think that more or less when you're born... That is the last moment that you're more or less sane. As uh, my, my former master put it, you're born naked. And every time something happens, you're putting on an article of clothing to where the doctor smacks you on the butt. You're putting on a T-shirt. Your mother and grandmother talk negatively over the crib. You're putting on a sock. Uh, Billy Mahoney pushes you in the first grade. That's a sweater right there. You know, Lucy Henderson breaks your heart when you're nine. That, that's, that's a parka. You know? So where the ti- by the time you're an adult, you are this giant orb of clothing that you don't need. And through, through Bagua, with, whether it be the physical side with the martial arts or yoga, we try to slowly remove the, the unwanted articles of clothing, idealistically re- remove the, the whole thing. Not that we run around naked, no. But na- the, Chinese naked circle fighting. Oh, dear Lord. Bagua I'm going to get in streaking. trouble for that one. Um, <laughs> but to, to psychologically to rid yourself of these burdens to get back to who you are. And not just get back to who you are, but why? Why do I do this? Why do every two years I have to quit this job? Why do uh, every time I have a great successful relationship, I have to screw it up? So what is the origin of this? And I know it sounds weird that a martial arts would would study that, but no, it's it's, it's very... Uh, it is very important on your journey that is you, on your journey that is understanding every other person on this planet and why they are crazy in their ways. By learning about your own crazy, you learn about their crazy. It sounds like, uh, you know, outside of learning how to defend yourself, how to punch, how to kick and evade and all those things, you're learning how to cultivate yourself. You are definitely learning how to cultivate yourself. What you said earlier made me laugh internally because it reminded me of, of something that happened um, on one of the first times I ever met my, my martial art teacher. 
um, he was demonstrating his ability to, um, you know, withstand a 300-pound push-hands champion's push. So he was on one foot and had his arm out, and Lee, the 300-pound you know, super heavyweight push hands <laughs> champion of the world um, was pushing on him. And um, it looked pretty unbelievable, you know, at, when I watched it. Um, not that I thought it was impossible, but I'd just never seen that level of skill. And so I thought, well, is it, it's possible that that's really going on or it's possible that he's playing, mm. that it's working and that, Lee is over cooperating and, and things like that. So I kind of went with the belief that, okay, for the, for the time being, I'm just going to go with the concept that he's really that high level because he's got this class of people who've been doing martial arts a long time. And I had been doing martial arts a long time and we're all pretty impressed with him anyway. So maybe he is really being able to do that. So let's just go with that. But he immediately called me over. It's like my first time there. And he says, okay, you try. And I thought, that doesn't even seem fair. It seems like this unfair situation <laughs> you're, this guy's putting me in. And I felt um, angry a little bit. Not, not angry. More, a better word would be uh, annoyed. Yeah, because it wasn't a strong about amount of anger. It was more of an annoyance. Like, what the hell is this guy trying to prove? That he's better than me? Okay, I admit it. He's better <laughs> than me. But what was he trying to do here? And really, it was, it was a, an interesting learning because it was really just an ego thing. He was uh, working with my ego in that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was good learning for me. But so I went ahead and just went along with his request and I, I tried to do it. And naturally I couldn't, you know, at that point I collapsed under the, the incredible force and there was just no question that I couldn't do it. And of course, every time he'd grab my arm and adjust me, I'd be able to do it in the moment he'd let go. I'd just collapse. So I turned it on him a little bit, or at least my intention was to turn that moment and say, um, all right, so you tell me, how do you do it? How's it supposed to be done? And he said, zero plus life equals zero. And I rolled my eyes and felt probably three times more annoyance. <laughs> and I thought so familiar, Carlos. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, okay, kind of, you know, what does that mean? And he says, you have to know yourself. I said, okay, great. So he's speaking this universal truth. It's a truism. You have to know yourself, right? So my intellect went, great. That's not solving the problem. That's not answering the question, really. It's answering without answering. So I was even more frustrated. So annoyance was becoming frustration or whatever. And then I said, and how do you do that? And he says, you're born naked and you die naked nothing there. And so I pretty much felt exasperated by this Yoda-like answer to the question, which to me, it seemed unfair, right? That was my ego screaming at the difficulty that I was, you know, the the situation. It was screaming at him, but really it was really screaming at my my issues, my my, um, frustration with not having uh, mastered what I wanted to master and all my attachments to being good and, and, um, to wanting it so bad and having not achieved it and all those, you know, those painful, 
sankara, those um, patterns that, that had not been dealt with in the mind, inner feelings. And so when you said that, it just, it reminded me of that situation because um, I've come to understand my experience of that differently over the years because that was many years ago. It was 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I've had many um, moments of epiphany around uh, recognizing that, you know, we really are as human beings. Um, we can be our best friend potentially, but we're often our worst enemy because of this yeah. ego struggle. And yeah. when when we dedicate ourselves to something uh, as difficult to master as martial arts and as challenging and as confrontational as the arts of war and um, meditation and yoga and all these things that are designed to um, deepen us or cause us to reflect on who we are or to cultivate our persona. We have this mirror all the time in the form of our experiences and the thing that we're really pushing against all the time is really, seems like it's our ego mind, not really a physical thing. Although it just, it feels like it's a physical thing because you've got a physical um, representation there, but in a bigger sense, I think a deeper sense, it's, it's a metaphor for what's going on on the inside. And, and it seems like all the, the highest level masters always seem to understand more than just the words. Like they don't just get it right with language. Like, oh, they said the right Yoda comment. It's that they've mastered the concept. So when they say it, it's even more inexplicable in a way. It creates even more confusion. But, but even that confusion is intended because, you know, if you look at the Tao Te Ching, which says, you know, um, confuse their mind and fill their belly, you know, confuse, confuse their mind and fill the, their, their dantian, their chi, um, because it's not about what, whatever they think they want. It's not about giving them candy or any of that by giving them substance. And I think in a way, the type of substance that Tony was trying to give was by taking away the clothing. You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Up next, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation with John Bishop about the history and psychology of various martial arts, which eventually leads to a discussion of esoteric concepts in comic books. Stay tuned. Where did all this come from? Uh, well, the Bagua, what's the origins of that historically? Uh, from my lineage, after the communist takeover of China, when, when all the Bagua masters were, uh, were executed, uh, the survivors scattered around the globe. Uh, some stayed in China and practiced kind of sneaky. Uh, some left China and just scattered to the wind. Uh, there was a master... Uh, I Ching Ming, and when Rogelio Magliacano, a Argentinian, was studying acupuncture in Korea, he met Master Ming, 
and he became a student every day for 10 years. And it was not just, hey, can I be your student? No, it was this long, drawn-out process. Uh, he studied under Master Ming for 10 years every day. Went back to Argentina and realized Argentina is not China. Argentina is not Korea. The people are very different. The benefits could be the same, but if I treat Bagua in Argentina the same way that people treat it in Korea or China, it's not going to work. So with Master Ming, from what I've been told, third, fourth hand, it was a three-student maximum. One master, three students. Uh, master Rogelio went back to Argentina and was like, Nia, no, that's not going to happen. I want to make the world a better place. So he adopted some of the strategies of more successful martial arts. And nothing wrong with it. He wanted to make get some money, pay for his family. But, you know, he had a lot of kids. So uh, he started getting rid of the three-student rule and opening up schools wherever he could find them. He installed the belt system to make it more westernized. Broke off the, the traditional Bagua, which was everything. It was the yoga. It was the kind of Tai Chi. It was the weapons. It was the acrobatics. It was the martial arts. It was the reflexology. It was the, the acupuncture, all these things. And he segmented them into different arts to both capitalize but get a bigger student basis. You know, people, they come in, they don't want to learn yoga. They want to learn to punch somebody. So, okay, Bagua, Pakwa martial arts. Oh, you don't want to punch somebody, you want to do yoga? Okay, we have, we have Pakwa yoga. Oh, you don't want to do that, we have just the sword class. Oh, you don't want to do that, we have just the, the Chinese medicine class. And he segmented it. It got, pardon the term, it got freaking huge in Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, and spread out all throughout the globe to California, where uh, I was able to find one of the, the first masters fresh from Argentina. And it was, it was very nice. So, so yeah. you know, m most people that, that um, find themselves practicing the various um, Chinese martial arts, I'll, I'll say the, the Chinese internal martial arts, mm -hmm. usually came from a background of other martial arts. Yes. Um, and I'm sort of curious about uh, the other martial arts that you've done and, and what you've learned from those and, and um, you know, uh, uh, your feelings, your thoughts, your analysis. For me personally, I've done, you name it, I've done it. I've been obsessed with martial arts since I was four years old. Um, I've paid my own way. Um, you, like I said, you name it, I've tried it. It has made me only a better master with Bagua. And I've been obsessed with martial arts. At different points, I thought I was Billy Badass. Um, I could kick anybody's butt. I did this, that, the other thing. I did competitive fighting. I had the trophy and the blue ribbon and this and that. I know that with, with Bagua, I know that there have been real traditional masters where they will not give you the time of day unless you've mastered something else first. That being said, because of my history with martial arts, I think that has given me the, the grander perspective to where I've been able to see why do we do this? Why do we do that? Okay, I know how to use my feet. These people don't know how to use their feet. Oh, okay, that's where they're having the problem. Every martial art is valid. 
Shaolin Kung Fu when you have a good master. And with any martial art, whether it be Bagua, whether it be Taekwondo, whether it be Shaolin Kung Fu, when you have a good master that knows what you're talking about. Uh, with Shaolin Kung Fu, great art that can be very internal, and you can channel a lot of chi. It takes a certain mindset to do katas all day and to do forms and to be so precise. When I move this way, I have to have my hand in this exact spot or I'm going to hell. Like that's, that's the mindset you find a lot. With, a, with different martial arts, they're for different minds. I would love to be quoted. I would love this to even be on my, my urn of ashes after I die, that if you ever meet anyone that says one martial art is supreme and everything else is crap. You need to turn around and walk away because they don't have the foggiest clue what the hell they're talking about. You go into a Bagua school and they say the only Bagua. Walk away. You go into Taekwondo. They say, oh, Taekwondo is the best martial art in the world. God bless Taekwondo. No, walk away. Different martial arts, different people. Being a little biased, I will say that in Bagua, the way that I know Bagua, eh, we do every martial art. And if you come to me, say, I want to learn Taekwondo. I'm going to customize my Bagua to your Taekwondo desire until you're like, okay, this is cool. Let's do that circle thing again. So there's no the supreme martial art. It has to be with the person. For me, I just happen to be very creative and very flexible and able to adjust to things very fast. That's ideal for Bagua. If you are a stubborn person and there's just one way, damn it, no, Bagua, no, no. You need to go do, do Tiger Crane style or, some, or boxing um, and do this. But there's one supreme martial art for each individual. I will say that. Hmm, very for nice. For each mind. Very nice. Uh, where do the acrobatics come in? Ah, what's, what's, what's that about? I love the acrobatics. I'm not 25 anymore. But... Uh, the acrobatic part, that, as I said earlier, with uh, the way that, that Paco was segmented, we set it up into different disciplines. And the Chinese acrobatics, that was, that was a part of the martial arts. Mm, uh, working okay. with, by yourself, working with uh, other people. And I mean, you see it in Cirque du Soleil all the time. You have a group of people that need to get over a wall. They make a standing beam or... You, any sort of body contortion. You can look at it on the medical side. You can look at it on the building your muscles side. Uh, if you really combine, if just watch Cirque du Soleil at the contortionist or the acrobatics, and now use your imagination to see them with punches and kicks and the way that they're able to control their body. That's scary. So that's where they, they blend together. But for me, I absolutely love the acrobatics from how far into yourself you have to go, how far you have to master every single muscle group. 
you are, if you're holding a person, another human being, above your head on one hand, you have to master every part of your arm. If you're wobbling, they're going to fall. They're going to rip your shoulder right out of where it needs to be. They're going to fall on their head. They're never going to trust you again. The, the physical dominance part of the acrobatics was what drew me to it. And in learning the physical dominance, you really learn internal dominance. Mm. You know, uh, you can't be in the middle of a posture, whether by yourself or with other people, and then stop to scratch your ass. <laughs> or, okay, I'm going to go get some water, or I'm going to stop. You know, if you're doing a one-handed handstand and you're holding it and you're sweating, you have to be in control of your thoughts. You have to be in control of your body. You have to be able to say, oh, I have sweat dripping through my eyelashes and it really itches and oh my God, it's starting to burn. No, you have to say shut up and just do it or else you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt other people. And I love, 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 love the acrobatics in part of Chinese medicine is regarded that your memories are not just kept in your brain, that the memories are kept in your body. From my personal experience... Whether there's any evidence of this on paper, I don't know, and I don't care, but from my experience, this is true. And in the process of mastering your body, even if it's, if it's just holding a push-up position, all of your traumas are going to come out. And whether it's some sort of, of neural connection or the way that the, the lactic acid is burning your muscles and it reminds you of the time Billy Mahoney shoved you down the stairs or whatnot, <laughs> eh, you're going to have to face that. That's the sweater. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And this is just from the physical side. And it, it really, it blossoms out to where just by holding a muscle tight, and it's not going to happen the first time, second time, maybe the third time you're going to be really working your muscles harder than you've ever worked them before. I'm sorry, acrobatics, there's nothing like it. You can be a bodybuilder and you will never be as strong as an acrobat. It's, it's insane. But in, I don't want to say abusing your body, but by, hurt, by bringing the best out of your muscles, you're bringing the worst out of your muscles. And you have to come face to face with all of those demons. And if you put them in the back of your head, I mean, that's, that's fine too. Uh, you can handle them in yoga. That's, that's cool. But um, the internal transformation in the acrobatics is amazing. Did you study the acrobatics from a separate school or was it all part of the Bagua training? Or Both. Both? Both. Okay. Yes. Um, for the, the physical side, doing working with different gymnasts or acrobatics, um, it was the same physical stuff. Mm. You just didn't talk about things going on in your head, and it's just regarded as normal, and, oh, your brain's going to la-la land while you're doing push-ups. You know, it's to be expected. But in the, the Bagua context, with my, with my teacher I was doing all of the acrobatics with, if I would start to cry or I would break the position and absolutely collapse. My teacher would know, not exactly what was going on, but he would know the right questions to be like, where did you go? Was it mommy or daddy you were thinking about? And I'm like, oh my God, how'd you know that? Well, I've been there, so let's 
talk about it. And then it would be this crazy magic because after you work it, you confront whatever that inner demon is from that part of your, your bicep or tricep. It'd be like, oh, it's gone. I can hold it now for freaking ever. And it was a, it was a huge a huge therapy of the head mastering the body and getting the demons out through sweating. Wow. So, but yeah, it, it's the same stuff. I, I just think in a, outside of the Bagua school context, you just never think about it and you chalk it up to, it's just me. I'm crazy. I have my basket of issues and I'm not going to say anything about it because I don't want everybody to think I'm crazy. You know, I have Tommy over here doing the same position and push-ups, and, and, you know, he's not crying about the time Daddy didn't buy him a birthday present, you know. But I am. So I'm the crazy one. He's not. You, you don't think about it. It doesn't get talked about. It doesn't get addressed. But then when, you, when you're in the formal study and you, you're starting to piece together the internal with the external, it gets cool. Hmm. And you have a, a camaraderie with others, but you, you get to look inside yourself. Well, speaking of daddy, um, you're a daddy. I am a daddy. You have a seven-year-old, you said earlier, yes, right? I have a seven-year-old who is awesome and energetic and keeps me on my toes. Do you train your son in Bagua or does he, does he do martial arts? Or Tell me about that. Before I had my son, I loved teaching the kids classes. That was one of the things that I was, I was famous for because my kids were good. And I will say that, I will bluntly say that with ego. My kids are good. Um, I was very proud of that. I taught kindergarten martial art class at a couple different private schools. And I hated it. Taught at the Boys and Girls Club with little kids. I hated it. I would go to Irvine and I would see kindergarten sparring class. And have the pit of my stomach just almost angry. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, these kids have no business hitting each other. Like, and you would see them, they would strap the kids up with the padded gear, and you'd have kindergartners beating the hell out of other children. Literally, like, it was, it was little kindergarten UFC. <laughs> and what the hell are you teaching the kids? I mean, I don't want to put anybody down, but, like... No, because you're saying it's okay to fight or fight, you know, have this mentality. And then it would be exponentially worse when it was, when it was a little girl beat the hell out of a little boy. And then the, you'd hear the dad in the parking lot saying, you got beat up by a girl. What the hell was that? So before my son was born, I had very uh, strict views on children and martial arts. And from my research, the Greeks, the Chinese, the Romans, uh, different South American militaries, all of the, the martial practices of ancient peoples uh, did not start until around eight. Eight years old was, it was the typical. That was when they've had enough of being little baby or, or a little, little kid with mommy and, and as they would in the, the cultures and dad would be out doing whatever else with the military. And then eight years old is when they would start weaning into the combat schools. And I had the very dogmatic, not till eight years old. My son was born. Oh, that was putting the money where the mouth was. 
uh, when he got into kindergarten, due to, to life situations, um, I wanted more bonding time with my son, and I wanted more extracurricular activities. And there's no way in hell I'm going to let someone teach my child martial arts other than me, at least until he says, Dad, no, stop, I want to go here. And that, that'll be fine. But uh, I couldn't help myself. And six years old, we started uh, the kids' martial art class. I came out of my, my little retirement that I had put myself in to be a better dad, and I said, okay, I'll teach a kids' class. And um, take a step back. He was asking, Daddy, I want to do this, this thing that you do, because he would see me practice on my own or practice at home. And he's like, I want to do it. Are you sure? Yes, yes, Daddy, yes. Okay, then... We're going to do it. So we, we started, and it, 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 junior's class, you know, nothing real, no real hard push on the discipline or the techniques, you know, no real hard combat in the kids' class until, you know, till later, and they show that they can do things safely. But you know, I, I do enjoy the teaching the, the kids' martial art class. It's something I'm good at. Maybe you can argue that I never grew up. I'm still a little kid. Peter Pan syndrome. <laughs> but with fighting. I want to point out that you are wearing a Wolverine t-shirt. It's true. So, Amen to that. And, and, and I like that. That's cool. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Is, is that one of your favorite Marvel characters? Actually, no. I, I actually lean towards the um, the cerebral characters. Mm. So, uh, yeah, or the, the I have too much power. I don't know what to do with, so I have to be the good guy. So I, I like the Green Lantern. I like the Silver Surfer. So I was always a big fan of Ghost Rider. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I got to say, I like the ones where uh, they, they wake up in the morning and they have to choose to be the good guy because they, they don't have to be because who's going to stop them? So they have to choose to be the good guy. Very nice. When I was a, a young teenager, there was a comic series called Secret Wars. Oh, yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, basically, uh, to clue everybody in, um, all of the, the best superheroes and uh, supervillains were snatched mysteriously from wherever they were and placed on a created world very far away in the universe. And um, so no one understood why it was happening. And, uh, you know, alliances were, were made between different factions and these battles happened. And, and after a while, um, through a series of things, uh, they were sort of put back to where they were. And the force behind the Secret Wars started to slowly unveil. And, and I think this was kind of a new thing for Marvel. They were starting to um, uh, have um, like a series that would integrate itself within all the other comics. And so you would buy a comic and you would look at the front. And it would say, you know, ep, uh, you know, um, you have to pick up the next part in this other right. title. Yeah. yeah, it would have this little, you know, sort of blurb on it, how it's like a crossover kind of thing and, and related to this series. And so it was really a brilliant marketing campaign for getting people to buy more comic yeah. books. And, and, and you know what's funny is that, that that whole basic plot 
isn't that how every human feels at some point in their life? Like, yeah. Why are we here? How exactly. We I mean, they, they just, they nailed it. With, with well, it, like and, and what was funny is that this, this um, uh, supernal force or whatever that was gathering all this to happen started to take shape in the form of, um, of, a, of an individuated consciousness, a, 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 you know, a, a humanoid being. And there was no name because he, he was that without name, right? He was, it was sort of like what we conceptualize of when we think of a God, right? Mm-hmm except with all the mythology around it. And so he was, in many respects, um, very innocent and at the same time omniscient and omnipotent. And so um, people referred to him as the Beyonder. Ooh, that's a good yes. name, you know? Beyonder. And he was great because as he started to walk yes. the earth and, and, and things, he, he would sort of wreak havoc sometimes because anything he willed became true. You know, mm. It was an Very interesting cool. thing to think that's about neat. as a 12-year-old reading these comics. Like, well, wow, no, really cool there story. were a lot of uh, interesting things at that point. It was becoming cool to think big. Yeah. At that point. I mean, you had everybody from, from Woodstock, they actually settled down, had real jobs, and, and you had a lot of great authors coming out at that time. But then, I mean, you look at Marvel and you look at DC, and they were both dealing with these giant issues. I mean, yeah, you had the cool, like, action with, like, Batman throwing stuff, but they were introducing a lot of concepts to the masses. With Marvel, you had the the Secret Wars. With DC, you had... uh, uh, it was the first crisis one. You had Infinity Crisis, and it was going back to the dawn of time to see the hand of God and and getting into time travel. And the hand of God at the beginning of time was really someone at the end of time trying to destroy it in this big, huge loop. So I think it was... It was I, I don't know. I would like to think it was a society or westernized society getting a lot bigger. Yeah. Yeah, I can recall, uh, you know, Doctor Strange comics and references to Hinduism and and Buddhism and oh, yeah. and, and all that, and and uh, um, I thought that was just brilliant the way that was kind of woven into to the storyline. Uh, you know, and speaking of stories, did you were you a um, a fellow fan of the Kung Fu series growing up? As a child, yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, I I loved it. Uh, and when I grew up and um, being married to to an Indian woman, I, I've become very aware of whitewashing. You know? Oh, yeah. And so I think that spoiled it a little bit, you know, like it has to be this white kid, you know, Kwai Chen King has to be, you know, son of an Englishman, you know, growing up as uh, getting all the best of the cool things of China. But of course, he has to be a white guy. So I got a little disillusioned and I wouldn't say bitter from that, but as a kid, I had at least 25 episodes on VHS that I would record. Yeah, you're you're um, you're no stranger yeah. in this room here. Oh Both yeah, both Satch and I are big oh, yeah. big fans of the original show. Oh yeah, big watched fans. it faithfully as kids. And yeah, yeah. You know, I got I got to share some. Um, some years ago, I, I I had an opportunity to do a little bit of background acting on uh, ER, right? And so I was on the Warner Brothers lot. And it was just, you know, through some connections that I had, it was just kind of a neat thing that I got a chance to do. And I'm standing outside of, of the, this Warner Brothers. They look like big, like bunkers, big, gigantic warehouses where they film these shows. I'm looking on this plaque outside the wall and it's showing the history of all the different shows that have been filmed in that uh, building that I was in. And Kung Fu was, was filmed in that building that I was nice. in for, for that day. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was kind of neat. So. It was it was a good foundation into a lot of 
bigger concepts that I, I don't even think they could get away with today. I think they would they would make them cheesy and just horrifically dumbed down. But in that series, I mean, again, it was it was at a time where Western consciousness was really opened up and able to look at bigger pictures. And I mean, think you you had in 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 the early '60s, you were putting on primetime television, you were putting on huge philosophical Eastern thought that at the at the time, you know, you had the 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 white bread, you know, church on Sunday uh, mentality, and they, they were really bringing in a lot of understanding, openness, um, diversity, and that was. That was a big. That was a big change. So I, I would like to say that that appropriately brainwashed me in a good direction as a child watching that growing up. Yeah, didn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, me too. It, it was me hard too. not to to go through martial art classes as a kid without thinking about, you know, or imagining and slipping into a trance, imagining that I was Kwai Chang Kane or or at the Shaolin mm-hmm. Monastery, right? And it right. was such a mix of Taoism, yeah, uh, with the Buddhism because you know Shaolin yeah. is Buddhist, but. Um, it didn't really matter because at that point everything Chinese was the same. There was a homogeneity because the average Joe didn't have the sophistication or understanding of different types of philosophies coming out of China to differentiate it. So it just kind of all became blurred together. Confucianism with Taoism with Buddhism, which isn't even of Chinese origin, (laughs) as you know, having been married to, to an Indian woman. Um, Yeah. Just to have Someone say, look inside yourself for the answer. Yeah. Go in inside to find the strength for whatever gunslinger obstacle he had to face that week. But to to look inside yourself, not, you know, get a tank and roll over the problem or or something ridiculous. No, it's very, very good stuff. Yeah, it would be nearly impossible for people like us that grew up on it to go through a martial art class. You know, <laughs> wanting to get that goddamn pebble and... Take it out of the hand, or when am I going to get the dragon and the tiger tattoo burn scars on my forearms? Uh, right, <laughs> right, right. So awesome. You know what's funny is that every time martial artists get get together, there's three of us here having this nice conversation, right? The conversation always becomes playful. And we always reminisce about our childhoods. And martial artists always talk about, well, when I was a kid, (laughs) dot, 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 right? Right. Whatever comes after that. And um, and, and, and it kind of reminds me a little earlier, we we were discussing... um, uh, you, you were sharing uh, what you had learned about, you know, other societies about having uh, the kids start at the age of eight yes. when, they're, when they're studying the various, you know, disciplines and you know, martial arts and warrior training. And uh, uh, you know, once again, I'm going to talk about occupational therapy. Right? Is you know, uh, in occupational therapy, we study the things that people do. That's what we do. Mm-hmm right? We are, we are activity scientists or what we would call occupation or occupational scientists. We study, um, what people do, why they do it, what motivates them to do it, how they do it, how do they physically do it? How do they cognitively do it? And so on and so forth. Right. Um, 
And basically what an occupation is, is something that's meaningful and purposeful to you. And the primary occupation, or I I should say the primary task or the job of childhood, right, is to play, Hmm. right? Playing is the job of children. You know, we go to work, we do the various things that we do. That's our job. What is a child's job? It is to play because play is the avenue in which children uh, develop basic skills that they're going to need to then apply to things later in life, right? And that's why I think martial arts for children needs to be playful. You know, yeah, their, absolutely. their job is to play. Yes. It has to be playful. And they are actually learning more if it's play. Yes. Because that's what they're oriented to do is to play. And they're, they learn amazing things by playing. And so here we are. We were all kids. And uh, the playfulness... Um, every martial artist still has it inside of them, you know? And, um, sometimes I think, you know, the, the warrior ship to it, uh, or even in today's world where we have like, you know, MMA matches and things like that, um, sometimes can pull us a little too far away from our origin, which was it's play. Oh, absolutely. Play with the stuff. Yeah. We, uh, with, with my, with my order, we are very anti-competition. And when I broke away and I did, I did my little amateur circuit fights, uh, I, was, <laughs> I was chastised, to say the least. And I, I didn't understand it at the time. But I mean, as soon as you have it in a competition setting, you have a winner, you have a loser, you have a trophy, so be it, uh, you're taking the play out of it. It's not. It's no longer play. It's now an obstacle to overcome, and I don't want to play with you. I want to beat you into the ground and make sure I'm the winner and you're lose, the loser. And I mean that in itself. It's it's a game, but it's not as you were just describing. It's not play. You know, it's I have to do this. I have to beat him. I have to overcome. No, for the kids especially, just you play. If you were to just be able to go and incorporate the idea that you're you're playing you're yes. you're exercising your skill you're um utilizing what you've learned and you're still learning and you're doing Taking focused practice yes with this other person then at least potentially it doesn't usually happen this way but it's potentially a situation where you could be playing yes. and you're not forcing yourself into a situation where you're actually feeling like a loser if you don't beat the guy you know mm. but that's hard to do yeah it, it, it takes yeah. A, a different type of individual or a different type of mentality i know i can sound harsh with the concepts of of competition uh, i think that's just from being bitter of seeing so see it seeing it go so wrong so many times but i i i have to say i have seen it go in nice directions you know, sparring classes. Yeah. Usually that's where it happens when the ego's not on the line and you're just getting knocked around by your buddy and you're having fun with it. And you're you're enjoying there they punch you in the jaw and you don't mind and you punch them in the jaw and they don't mind and you're going back and forth. And it is it is play. It is a game. Um it it, it can be done and there can be many, many, many benefits of it. Most people who go into competitions, um, it's it. They're wrapped up in whether or not they're the winner or the loser, and that's not really the mindset. But um, you know, sounds like all of us can relate to having a 
um, a really enjoyable exchange, a martial art, like where yeah. we're, we're doing combative drills or we're doing some sparring or, or something where um, you're trying not to get clobbered for sure, but it really isn't the end of the world when you get clobbered. It's just like, okay, cool, you laugh it off, you roll with it. Um, and even to some degree, that playful attitude combined with the focus helps you to relax and not be stiff, which decreases the amount of injuries that you have because your, your body responds to the mental um, picture you have. I was told years ago by Master Rogelio that the the essence of, of being a Bagua master is not fighting. And he said, the best way to put it, we're on a train. I'm on a train. You're on a train. The whole, the whole world, we're on a train. And we know that the train is going to crash. Nothing you can do about it. It's going to crash. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. And the job of a Bagua master is to go around on the train and calm people down before the train crashes. Wow. So that, I, I would say, is the my wake-up, going-to-bed essence of being a Bagua master. Just to walk around the train and get everybody one at a time to relax as best I can. Before the train crashes. So. Wow. That's one of the best things I've heard all week. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> this has been a, a very authentic conversation, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed your company. And, Feeling um, mutual. Uh, what, how could people find your martial arts school? Uh, you could look us up as uh, Pacwa World Health. How do you spell the, that? It's uh, P-A-K-U-A uh, World Health is the the big organization you can find myself or any of the other uh, masters that i can personally vouch for that have legitimacy and uh, credence that don't want to take your money and run they actually want to contribute to the world being a better place so good masters uh, most of them out in the la and hollywood area uh, santa monica Hollywood. Uh, so we have masters all over the world. We have schools all over the world. Russia, Argentina, uh, Brazil, Texas, which is its own planet. Uh, but yes, so Paco World Health. Or if you find me on Facebook, I love all the friends on Facebook. I love Facebook. Oh my God. Uh, but yes, just uh, John Bishop. Uh, you'll find the redhead with the adorable child. been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Special thanks to our guest, John Bishop. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. You can find more information on our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.